Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Amen. Hey, happy July 2nd. What a beautiful, beautiful summer we're having, huh? All right. How many have uh, real Bibles with them in person? Don't be just, you're, you're real, just in the flesh, turn the pages, make sound. All right. The uh, first service, they took on this challenge. They said they're going to bring their Bibles all summer. Phones are great. Technology is cool but there's just nothing like turning pages with pens and mark up the Bibles with some highlighters. They weren't sure about you guys. I'm like, I'm not sure about second service, but I said, no, second service will, they'll do the same challenge. Can, can we do that? There's just something about, I got a couple good Bibles. This Bible right here was missing for five months. My wife, her car got destroyed. And so as it was in the auto body shop, this was in the back seat. So I was more excited about this than getting the car back. (laughs) There it is. There's just something about having a Bible. I know how much shoes are and Xbox consoles and I know how much vacations are. So my challenge is this, spend 30 or 40 bucks on a really good Bible that has margins and get ready with your favorite pen and a highlighter for God to do something new in your life in your study time. That's all I'm saying. If you can't afford it, then ask someone who you know at least has some money in their pocket or in their checkbook to just be bold. Say, can you buy me a Bible? I guarantee this, that if you ask someone to buy you a Bible, they're not gonna be like... Sorry, man. You have to find some. So get get a Bible, get some fresh pens and highlighters, and and go to work reading and studying on a greater level this year. Can you can you take on that challenge? Yes. Amen. So what I'm going to do today is this is something that's worked through with Pastor Chris a little bit, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak a little bit today. Um, you're gonna, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to use your pen and mark it up a little bit as I take you through a couple verses. Um, if you don't, then just be good at writing some good notes. I really feel like this is going to be useful for you. It's been useful for us, just even this passage that we're going to address and talk about when it comes to anxiety. Um, and I, I know it's going to be useful for you. In, in, in our time together, Chris and I, with some, some others, have been uh, looking at Scripture. And as we look at Scripture, we're really working hard to observe it in a slower pace. Sometimes I think we go too quick when we read Scripture, and we just miss a bunch of stuff that's in there. We fast forward through sections and we miss out the importance of that section and what the message is. If you're reading a letter, for example, and we'll, we'll spend time in the book of Philippians for a moment today, but as you read a letter, you're not going to just pick up some random letter, not knowing who wrote it and who the recipient is and just know what it's talking about at all. So it's important to know who wrote it and it's important to know who the recipient is, then you get the full message be behind it. It's the same even when we read scripture. I think it's important to ask those questions. And so there's certain things that we observe when we look at scripture. A few things are we look for commands. We look for repeated words or themes or phrases. You look for illustrations. You can look for, okay, what's the context? What's the atmosphere that this letter was written in? Why is this important? Well, it's important so that you can know full well that you've done a really good examination on that particular section of the text and you're not missing anything. And the Bible's so rich with insight that even you investigating wisely and slowly and thoroughly, I guarantee you're still gonna miss something. That's why when you come around and read it again, you have an, you have an aha moment. Like, oh, whoa, I didn't see that. I've read this thing a hundred times and it was on the hundred and first time that that 
popped out to me that that's exactly what it's, what's being said. Have you seen this picture before of this lady? It's on the screen. Have you seen that? How old do you think she is? Do you see the lady that's turned away from us with a feather? She's got great skin, it looks like. It's probably, I'd say 28, right? But does anyone see the, the older lady that's there? Does anyone not see that at all? I love the honesty, please, yes. If so, you are way more alert than the first service. This is great. The point is this, there, there is two pictures there. There's two individuals. There's a, a younger lady who looks like she's looking away and she has a necklace on. But then if you look again, it also could be a picture of an older lady and that necklace is her mouth and the chin and the cheekbones of the young lady is actually her nose and she's wearing, looks like fur. What's the point? The point is that has nothing to do with scripture in, in realms of that's not scripture. But my point that I'm making is sometimes when we look at scripture, we see one thing, but there's actually two, three, four, 20 things there. And so it requires that we slow down as New Testament followers of Jesus with pens and highlighters and our Bible opens and we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us through the reading of the text. So today, this is what we're gonna do. If you turn to your Bibles to... Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. I'm gonna read these two verses. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, what I look for, if you want to mark your Bible up, there's a couple commands that jump out. You see the first is that first sentence that says, do not be anxious, command number one. And then there's another command, if you go down, it's in the third person, but it's a command, direct command in the Hebrew and Greek, and it's the word let. So it says, do not be anxious, and you can skip down a little bit, and it says, let your request be made known to God. Two commands. Paul says, don't be anxious. And the second man, he says, let your request be made known to God. And then you see a couple of words as well, like anything and everything and surpasses all understanding. What are those words? Well, those words are comprehensive. They're universal. Paul has the audacity to say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. And he skips on down. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying is, when he wrote this, the idea is there's not anything or anyone that this doesn't apply to. Now, you might be in different levels of maybe despair or panic or anxiety or you might, it's be, it might be a good Sunday for you where everything in both heart and brain activity is just smooth sailing. What Paul is saying, no matter who you are today and no matter what your scenario is, no matter what the environment is that you've been living in and no matter what the problem that you face, Paul is saying this, that there's not one story here where this doesn't apply to. And so as I read that, I'm like, oh, that's, that's encouraging. We have different struggles, different challenges, but it looks like Paul's taking us through the same solution. And he opens by saying, do not be anxious. And so I'm glad he said, do not be anxious. Um, because I think what's being said there, he doesn't say, do not feel anxious. Has anyone ever felt anxious before? Yeah. The funny thing about prepping even for this message, I woke up several days in a row feeling anxious as I speak about not being anxious. I wanted to make sure it was delivered okay. I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And I actually had to learn just to stop and practice what I'm studying and about what I'm sharing right now. Paul says, he didn't say do not feel anxious because we, we, we feel anxious. I like the fact he said do not be anxious which means you get, don't make that your identity. And in the culture of today, that's what we've done often is we've made anxiety not necessarily something that we struggle through and fight with, but if we're not careful, we make it a part of like who we are. 
And so we can blame things on it. it. When we look in the mirror, instead of seeing a whole person put together in Jesus that's still a work in progress, we see just an anxious, ridden mind and heart. And Paul's saying, stop right there. Don't be anxious. Fill it. Don't be it. Meaning, he goes, exchange it with something else. I'm also glad that he just didn't stop there, but he continues. And so then I have to, in my Bible, I have to, in the margins, I write the question, okay, how is this achievable? Because if you've ever dealt with anxiety, the one thing that does not work is for someone to come along and say, stop being so anxious. It's like when you're going through something that you can't figure out and understand, what doesn't work for a parent, it's just our shortcut, but it never works, is when we tell our kids, get over it. Just get over it. Let it go. Well, sometimes you can't let it go, and sometimes you can't get over it. And what doesn't encourage a person who is riddled with anxiety is telling them to stop being anxious, period. And that's not what Paul does. He uses a contrast word. He used the word in a circle. He used the word by. So do not be anxious about universal comprehensive word anything, but in everything, universal comprehensive. What's it say? In everything, by. Here's, here's where we're going to transform here. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let, which is a command, your request be made known to God. So Paul is saying, do not be anxious. And how you learn to stop being anxious is by prayer, by supplication with thanksgiving. Prayer, what is prayer? Prayer to me is turning in your, your chair. It's shifting in your seat to direct your attention to the one who's sitting next to you. So it's not God over here and my 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 face and my demeanor and my heart and everything this way. It's if God is here, it's me pivoting my life to listen and to communicate with God because he's given me this gift of relationship. And it's sometimes days, sometimes it's easier and then sometimes it's difficult. But, but prayer is addressing God. It's turning towards him. It's looking at him. It's having conversation with him. It's not just this religious uh, jargon or set of words that we just recite over and over again. Prayer is a profound act of turning all of your attention, your whole life, your energy, your focus to God in a way of conversation. And it doesn't mean that you have everything put together. Have you ever had conversations in your life with someone and you didn't have it all put together? You were figuring things out. Yes, so you can have communication and conversation even when things aren't going smoothly. And this is what God does. He invites our conversation, regardless of the situation of our life, into exchange with him. And we see that this is prayer. It's the, it's the opposite of being anxious ridden. Now, can you pray and still be anxious? Yeah, you, you can. <laughs> I've been there. What is prayer? Well, prayer is also a process. Just like conversation. You don't always get to the end of your conversation before the time demands, right? There's time that goes into it. There's other words. There's feeling. There's descriptions. There's full story that you have to gather when you're talking to someone. Well, with God, as you, Paul says, as you bring anything and everything through the process of prayer, what you do is you begin to direct that to God. Not only with prayer, but also with supplication. Supplication is asking for things that you're in need of. Asking for things that you can't necessarily control by yourself. It's a request or a petition. So he's saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, as you have conversation with God, as you turn your attention towards God, as you petition and as you ask God the needs that are going on in your heart, in your life, in your story. You do this with the third element, which is thanksgiving. So it's not this faithless conversation. It's a conversation that is full of all different feelings and emotions as conversations should be between two people because it's very relational. It's like this. It's like me getting up and say, God, today, I do not fully understand what is happening in my life today. The news I got, what I'm working through, it, it's beyond what I can even fathom. I did not see that coming. 
But what I'm deciding to do today as I'm having a conversation with you is I'm asking you to help me in this area, this area, and this area. And what I do is I choose in this moment to remember that you are a God who is faithful yesterday, today, and forever. I remember when you delivered me at such and such point. I remember hearing the story from a friend how you saved them in a moment. They, they, they almost died. And you came in and you rescued. I remember when I read scripture, how you're with Joshua when he was terrified and you gave him courage. This is a picture of Thanksgiving. So what is, it's a coupling. It's all three working together. And sometimes, let me tell you, for me, sometimes it works in one minute. Right when I get out of bed, I go through the whole minute of it's, it's prayer, it's supplication with Thanksgiving. Then other times, can I be honest? Sometimes it takes all day long. And I barely make it back to the home. And I'm like, what is the struggle? What is going on? And my encouragement for you today is it's not about a one-time thing. It's continue to engage and the gifts that God has given us, the access points he's given us. Have any of you ever washed your car before in an automatic car wash? Of course you have. It's like, it's your turn. You plight, you wave, you pull. There's just the, the nonverbal communication. You all, you tracked? Yeah. I try, because I'm so competitive, for them to never go this way or that way. In the days that I do, I am so disappointed in myself. I was driving a car the other day, it wasn't mine. There was no this, there was no that, but when it came time to put it in neutral, this hand panicked. And it went reverse, park, drive, and then neutral. And so I was the car, was like, ga, 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 ga. That's whatever that is that pulls your will along. So discouraged, so disappointed in myself, the whole wash through. But there, this is the picture when I look at this. This is what Paul's asked us to do, even though he didn't talk about car wash in Philippians chapter four. He says this, it's take your anything and your everything that has to do with any need, any anxiety, any panic point, and you bring it, you, you, you bring it in prayer and you bring it, your, your petitions with thanksgiving and you bring that to God. And what happens is you get through that car wash and sometimes when you get out, you realize like, ah, there's still spots. There's still stuff on this car. So you have two choices. You just can leave the whole establishment and go on with your way and try and manage it later, which never works. Or you can do the hard work saying, no, I'm, I'm not free yet. It's not done yet. And so you go back through to spiritual discipline. Like I'm, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna be more specific in my supplication and I'm gonna stir as much thanksgiving and gratitude in my heart that I can. And then I'm going to go on with what Paul says. He says, let your requests be made known to God. So do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. This is a big thing because what you do with your request says a lot about you and says a lot about your understanding or your lack thereof of who you bring it to. I think at times we bring a lot of our requests and a lot of our concerns and a lot of our anxious moments to, to friends or maybe other people in life, or worse, we just internalize it all and we keep it within ourselves only to make and, ma and magnify even the problems even more later down the road. What Paul's saying is you take all of that and you bring it to God. Why? Because this is so relational. You don't bring it to some type of other method or system and methods and systems are fine, but this isn't just a method or system. This has everything to do with taking your whole life, your psychological world, your emotional world, and you bring it to God who is this, who is a God who is eternal, a God who is just, a God who is compassionate, a God who is merciful, a God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, a God who cares for every, even the little areas of your life. This is the God we bring our cares to because he, he cares specifically. First Peter chapter five says, cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Pastor Chris message last week, Matthew chapter seven, the picture of asking, knocking, seeking. 
What is that? We can ask in faith, knock in faith. We can request in faith. Why? Because the God that we serve is a really good God. If you, who are an earthly parent, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more so? The God of heaven, let your request be made known to God, who's all-powerful. Some of you don't believe me fully, so I'm going to give you some scripture. Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and outstretched arms, there's nothing too difficult for you, nothing too hard for you. He's a God who's all-present. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He's all-knowing. Great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Psalms 147, verse 5. He's slow to anger. Aren't you grateful for that? When I bring my request to him, I don't have to flinch because maybe what I ask is going to enrage him. No, he's slow to anger. He's full of compassion. See, I think sometimes... If I fail to bring my request to God, it's probably a, it's a highlighter in my life showing I really don't know then the God that I'm, that's available for me. Slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. You can read Exodus chapter 34 verses six and seven. He's eternal before the mountains were brought forth or, you, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's just, he's holy, he's merciful. The God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. He's wise, he's the creator, he's the redeemer, and he is the truth. Jesus said to them, he goes, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in the words of Pastor Chris, what do we have to do in order to get a, uh, and become a non-anxious presence within our life and be that? Well, we have to dabble, and you ready? You have to dabble. You have to wade out into the waters of theology. It's, if all we had, I'm so glad we don't have just kiddie pools. If all we had were kiddie pools as grown adults, it just looked weird. Bunch of grown adults just up to their shins in water. But I'm grateful for deep pools. And I, I like maybe not, maybe some of you don't share this with me, but I, I love the ocean. Only because you do not know what's under that water until you explore it. And even that, there's still things to be explored. I, I look at scripture, I look at theology that way. It's just not enough that we just wade into it with a quick little daily bread verse for our day that's supposed to last us a whole week, that's supposed to get us through an onslaught of maybe what the enemy is trying to assail and ascend against us. No, we need a deep understanding of scripture. And when you get a healthy, sound understanding of scripture, do you know what changes? your emotional state, your mental state. So theology, it shapes psychology. It, It has a way of causing you to look and see and feel and, uh, uh, handle and act life differently. And you can't outcome, you can't overwhelm anxiety all by yourself. And some of you that this has been your story, you know that. You know this, that it requires a partnering with the King Jesus. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit as he leads us through the text, as he leads us through sound promises and principles that he will not stumble on, but he will fulfill. There's something that happens, and like Paul and his understanding that this is a solution for everyone, the process is different. The solution is the same, but the process can be different. Sometimes it'll take a minute, others it's going to take maybe a season of life, but I want to encourage you, don't give up in the work that the Holy Spirit's doing through the promise of scripture in your life, in the person that you're married to, in your kids, if you're single, in your life, in your friends, in your family. If you continue to trust and lean into this relationship with God and begin to set your attention on who he is, I guarantee it has a 
transforming way of radically changing your heart and your mind and your entire outlooks on life. You will be a person that's not just half full, but you will be completely full. And there's a confidence that will come to you. But it's not done there. I love what he says. He says, actually, look at, we'll look at the last slide. If you can put that up. The last slide. This is, if I started there, it'd be too confusing for you. I just think this is probably how in the future, this is how our Bible should look. So do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication. So it's this, right? Everything, anything, we've talked about that. It's comprehensive. It's universal. Prayer is addressing God. Supplication equals the specific needs that we ask for with thanksgiving. It's remembering God's goodness. Let, which is a direct command, let your request not be made known to the friend next to you or your family. You can do that later, but let that be secondary. The first thing you should do is let it be known to God who is all powerful. He's all present, all knowing. He's available. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast faithfulness and love. He's eternal, just, holy, merciful, and the list goes on as you read scripture. It goes, and the peace of God, I love this. The peace of God is the opposite of anxiety. The peace of God, it says, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Spurgeon says that peace is that sweet state of rest of the heart that results from faith in Christ and complete trust in his promises. It's a believer's confidence in God's love and his faithfulness. The presence, or the, excuse me, the peace of God is the comprehensive well-being and flourishing that comes from being in a right relationship with God, oneself, others, and the world. The peace of God extends beyond mere absence of conflict and includes the restoration and reconciliation of all things in Christ. A transformative experience that comes through surrendering to God is what peace is. When we align our will, align our life to his purposes and allow ourselves to simply rest in his presence. Because that's what anxiety does. It, it, become, it becomes the thief of rest. It comes in in ways and it does everything it can do to try to get you to rest in this confident peace that God is there, God is present, and he has all things under control. You remember the words of Pastor Chris a while ago when he preached this, anxiety is what? It's, it equates to not seeing Jesus in the future. It's also, you, you don't see him now in the present. It's, anxiety is when it moves itself in and butts itself in to where it tries to get your whole scope, your frame of view. It tries to, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the monster that tries to come in and that's all you see. Well, there's a promise here. It says that the peace of God, which here it goes, is comprehensive and universal that surpasses all understanding will guard. I love the word guard. It's garrison, guard. It's a military uh, squadron. <laughs> it's a military unit. So the peace of God, which is this inner security of heart. So it's this internal security of heart, which is really the peace of God. That becomes a sentry or a soldier that guards the access point to let a person in or not. So it's, right? You guard over an access point. Well, Paul's saying the peace of God, when you, you allow this working to take place in your life through prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, as you direct it to God, the list of who he is and his attributes, what happens is, the outcome is that the peace of God, which is this internal security, it will guard, it'll be a soldier guarding the access points of your life. And when I think of a heavenly soldier, I don't think of anything weak and insignificant. I think of just seen alone just will scare the pee out of you. To where it's a guard. This is what, this is what Paul's saying that, that, that God is, that Jehovah is. He is this presence and the, the non-anxious presence, I put it as a capital P in our life is, is King Jesus. The definition of being a non-anxious person is King Jesus. And what does he do as the good teacher? He leads us into how to live that type of, of lifestyle. It's rooted in relationship with Jesus. The key to overcoming anxiety is not simply trying to just 
cancel it or trying to uh, ignore it or dismiss it or trying to s- some quick fix. Those that struggle with it, you know it's not a quick fix. It's, it's a process, but it's not a process done apart outside relationship with Jesus. So I'm confident to say this, that you will not overcome anxiety in your life if Jesus is not a central figure in your heart and your mind every moment of your life. A non-anxious life requires that we need more and more theology. We need to wrap our minds. We need to entertain our mind, not with Netflix and so forth, and those are okay. But I think we have to entertain ourselves with Scripture. See yourself in it. What are the promises of God that have been spoken to you, etc.? When I look at an example uh, of who a non-anxious presence is, I look at the Apostle Paul. He wrote this letter. It's a prison epistle. Right, so he just didn't say, just like he's writing this letter, like, and it's just a very sweet, like, tropical Airbnb, and it's just a good morning, and the coffee's positioned just perfect, and he has his pastry, and he has his photo lights because he's gonna he's gonna gram this, uh, just to let everyone know how spiritual he is. No, Paul's writing this in prison. Paul's writing about rejoicing and being full of joy in prison. In Rome, maybe, Ephesus, maybe. The, the, the location's not as important as the fact that he has already sustained about two years in imprisonment. Wow. And he's waiting two outcomes. He's waiting to hear whether he's going to be acquitted and released, or he's waiting to hear if he's going to be condemned to death. And what does Paul say? What would your response be? This is Paul's. He goes, yes, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full, I love that, full courage. Now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether I live or whether by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know, I, we were just singing those worship songs. And like, I just think like, what, what was going on in Paul's mind and heart? Like, what was the playlist in that jail cell? Like, what, what, like is he just thinking, man, the, the faith in this room? I just imagine what the Lord can do. Can you imagine? And then he probably gets people to sing with him. With all the faith in this room, what the Lord can do. Or it could be that he was by himself in a cell and he's still saying the same thing. Can you imagine with all the faith that's in this room what the Lord can do? Hear me now. I don't know what you're going through, but can you imagine with all the faith in this room what the Lord can do? Whoever you are, whatever struggle you have, who's ever receiving this right now, Paul had this understanding that his theology, his understanding of who God is trumps everything emotionally, psychology, physically. Everything is shaped by his understanding of who God is. And he's able, this to me is a revival verse. No one's having these, in this setting, no one's having the expression, no, there, there's no hands being raised, there's no one's jumping around, there's no one dancing, those things are great, there's no one falling down, that's fine. Sometimes we picture revival and the move of God as just this outward expression of what our body does, and that, that's just, that's a subcategory, that's, that's kind of, that's, that's the margins of it. I think what happens when you start to really see revival take place within a person and a people and a nation is when people have these types of declarations that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever happens to me, whether I live or whether I die, whether I get through this or whether I don't, Christ is gonna be glorified in my life and my testimony. That to me is the, the, the sounding of a revivalist. So whatever you're going through, learn to let, the scripture directs you in the right statements. Whatever I go through, whether I make it out or whether I don't, I've just learned, and Paul ends the letter in this, whether I have a lot or have little, whether I'm abased or abound, whether it's high or low, I've learned that I have this secret. The secret is wrapped up in who God is. And God can do anything, don't you know? God can work through every problem, every solution, every mindset. He can break every bad habit, every pattern that's destructive, and he can get me in a right frame of thought and worship and thankfulness. If you look at 
Uh, if we go back just a few verses, uh, I love, uh, I was reading through this, but this is, this to me is very, very important. Uh, as you go back and look at some of these verses, I obviously picked it up just in the, the, the first, the, I missed a few verses on purpose just so we could focus on those two, six and seven, just as a way of like, okay, we got, this is how we got to read our Bible. And so the, the challenge is practice this even tonight and tomorrow and the next day, take a section of scripture, just maybe it's just a verse and begin just to look for commands and look for uh, what are those key words? What's being said here? If I read it from the beginning, can I? It says, therefore, not the whole chapter, or not the whole letter, just chapter four. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, for my joy and my crown, stand firm, trust in the Lord, my beloved. I love Paul's, how, he, how he's ending this. And he uses words like beloved, love, companion, yoke fellow. He uses those words throughout the whole letter, which suggests that Paul, in a prison, doesn't know if he's going to be released or he's going to die. He's thinking less about himself and more about the audience he's writing to. Shows me he has deep theology. And he just doesn't, he just, doesn't just randomly say people. He, he says they're, they're like a crown of joy on his head. Like these people he's writing to, these fellow people, Christians who are laboring in the faith to see the gospel extend to the nations. He says, to me, they're like a, they're like a treasured crown. And they're, he uses brothers and sisters, they're family. It's relational. And that's a whole different message, right? It's, he's contending in his hour of need. He's contending for other people to make sure that they stand together in unity. They stay steadfast for the sole purpose of seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ communicated and lived. He's saying, be a letter, be a, a living epistle, uh, be an example, both in your conversation in your word, but also in the action of your life for a world that's, that's watching. I entreat you, uh, Euodia and Synergy to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I love what Paul says. He's doing some conflict resolution. He's saying, Euodia, Syneche. He's like, uh, don't forget that you labored with me side by side. Gospel adventure, gospel mission, oftentimes can be really, really difficult. Living a Christian-focused, filled life can be really difficult. I'm surprised how surprised we are that anxiety hits us. I'm surprised how surprised we get when bad things happen and things that we can't even fathom take place within our life. Paul's not surprised. He's just saying, in the midst of all this, I just want you just to, to remind yourself that you're in this together. It's not gospel party A against gospel party B. It's like, we're in this together, side by side, and we're gonna labor, labor together. And when one of us is overwhelmed with fear and anxiety, all the more, shoulder in on the right and the left, lead the charge in front. See restoration take place within people who are in need. He just doesn't write this to the individual to where the individual has to figure this out. Paul's writing this to a community, a church of, of community of believers, saying together, don't be anxious. Together, through prayer and through supplication, oh, with collective thanksgiving, let together your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, that inner security is gonna be a soldier that's gonna guard the access points of your life. And it's gonna go beyond what you can even imagine, hope, or think. So work together with the rest of the fellow workers whose names are not in the book of life. I love that because there's not enough space in chapter four to put all the names that Paul's referring to. But he says there's a, there's a greater victory and there's a greater trophy and a reward that just seeing your name in scripture wouldn't even do for you. It's the fact that you've already been written in the book of life. You're gonna be nameless now, but you're, you're not a nameless person. God saw you. He knew exactly what you did. Woo! It was powerful. It changed lives. Then he goes into verse four. So rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Let your gentleness, 
Let your kindness, let your faithfulness be known to everyone. Everyone, again, universal, comprehensive. Not just other churchgoers, but the neighbors around you. The people who are watching you and what you're going to do in this struggle, in this fight of faith. What are they going to do? Well, Paul says, rejoice all and do it again and again and rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Because why? You're a walking testimony of the beauty of who Jesus is. And you might not think you're making a difference, but how, they, how you handle the struggle that you're going through, how you navigate the difficulty that you can't control, someone's watching and it's becoming a testimony for them. He says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What does that mean? Well, does that mean that second coming is approaching? Sure. Does it also mean Emmanuel, God with us, is here right now? Absolutely. Paul's writing this in prison. And in prison, he does not view his circumstance like he's doing this alone. <laughs> let your reasonableness, how I live right now, for the audience of Ephesus and... Caesarea and Rome, the known world, they're going to know by the way I allow God to direct me that my testimony is I'm not going to panic, that I'm going to be proactive, meaning I'm going to control what I can control. And what I can control is my thanksgiving and my worship to King Jesus. And I'm either getting out of this or I'm really getting out of this. For to live as Christ, to die is gain. The Lord is at hand. He's right here in this prison with me. Semicolon. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because the Lord's right here. You're not solo in your panic. It's like, come on, we got this. This is picture, Lord, arm around you. We got this. You're not in this by yourself. Some of you, I just feel like that's, the story you've been telling yourself is whatever struggle you've been in, you feel like you've been in it all by yourself. And that's not what I read when I slow down, I read this verse. What I read is like, the Lord is here, he's near. Don't be anxious about anything. But, or by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God who's right here and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in in Christ Jesus. When I am a person who's operating with gentleness and I'm reasonable, uh, there's, there's a peace that comes from me. There is a sensitivity to others that comes from me. There is a, um, there's, a there, there, there's a love that comes from me. When I'm allowing the peace of God to operate in my life, I'm more aware of other people. In my pain, when I allow the peace of God, even in my pain, um, to be the, 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 the main engine that runs my life, even in my pain, I can think about other people, even in my problem. But when I allow anxiety to be the lead of my life, it's hard for me to think about anybody. And I come off irritable. I come off scared. I come off short in my maybe response to people. I'm no longer a responder or proactive in my language. I become a reactor, right? So I begin to just think about the things that I can't control and I get lost in what I can't control. And I then tell myself, well, if this and that and that were to happen, then I would be a lot better. And that's what Paul, that's not the, that's not what he, that's not the pattern he gave us. He's saying, be done with that. Put Jesus right in the middle of your story because he's willing and available and you let him control what he can control. You, can, you control what you control. And what you, we can all do today is we can all pray. We can all ask God for things that are outside of our control and we can do it with a heart of thanksgiving. And then what comes is a peace that's gonna be a inter-security that comes only from the Holy Spirit that is gonna guard our hearts and our mind Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and around, around the clock. This is not a quick fix, right? right? It's not something that just always happens right away. But I'm, I'm challenging you, church, as we live in a world that likes to be chaotic, as we live in a world that there's a lot of noise, um, you just won't default to just 
setting time just automatically with Jesus and open your Bible just automatically. No, it's something that you're going to have to discipline yourself to do. You're going to have to make a determination that I'm not alone in this. And so because I'm not alone in this, I'm going to get real close to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit be the lead and the director of my life today. Amen. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? I don't think, and, and, and I would, I would bet my life on this, that there's no way you can rid yourself of debilitating anxiety, and you can't rid yourself of those fearful thoughts, and you can't find a solution in your own working, in your own way, and you can't find purpose, and you can't find value. You can't find anything good apart from a relationship with Jesus. Now, I want to be sensitive to this. There's people here today that you've not said yes to Jesus, and yes, I want to, I wanted to communicate this, this message for, for all of us, maybe those, even for, for those who have been in relationship with Jesus for a long time, but specifically to those that feel like you got no out, there's no hope. I'm here to tell you on this beautiful Sunday, now afternoon, on the 2nd of July, that there is always hope for you, and it's in the person of Jesus. And how you begin to work your way out of a paralyzing state from uh, fearful outlooks, from... Uh, having just a clouded picture and focus of the future and even just confusion about today is you allow Jesus to come into your story, into your life where you see him present, but you also, and he'll lead you in this, he'll begin to show you how he's also in your future. And if that's you and you know you've, you haven't made a commitment to follow Jesus and man, you, you want that today. Can you just raise your hand where you're at? Can you pray this prayer with me? If you're one, raising your hand. Can you say, Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. I ask that you come and help me. That you would change me. Give me a new way of seeing you. Set me free from these negative thoughts in my head. Do something brand new in me. I want to know you. I want to follow you. And today, I commit my life to you. Holy Spirit, I ask today that every heart, every life, today, as we're here, all of us, with whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, I ask that you would make an exchange within every person that's here will be the contrast of our life. To where we no longer have to identify as people uh, that are riddled with anxiety or fear and we're perplexed about those questions that we can't, we can't answer. I pray that today there'd be exchanged and we'd be a people that our testimony would be, wow, look at the peace of God in us. Look what God's done. And a person like me, he's changed me completely around. Give me a new focus. I pray that there'd just be a, a transfer of your presence, a transfer of your peace. As we talked about, like it would, it would guard every access point of our life, that every strategy from the enemy would be, would be shut down. Every voice of the enemy would begin to stutter. It would be confused. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that there would just be uh, just the presence of Jesus that would invade us like Paul as he writes this letter in a prison, in a cell. The Lord is at hand. So I'm not going to be scared. I'm not going to be anxious about anything. I see Jesus in my present. I see him in my future. God, thank you today that you are, come on, doing a new thing. If you have your communion elements, if you don't, please raise your hand and ushers are going to make sure they get you some elements. But can you do this with me? Can you, when you have your communion elements, when you open it, can you just, you stand up? Ushers, okay, see the hands. Make sure everyone's got one. I think this is, we're, oh yeah, we're good on time. This is what we're going to do. I think this is a beautiful way to start this month of July is we're going to take the communion. Communion to me, it, scripturally, it represents 
not us just observing Christ from a distance, but it's this invitation to be a part of who he is in relationship. And I think there's something powerful here. And I, and I believe that. I'm believing that as we take communion today as a church, that those who have even just, you've really struggled with what I was talking about today. As we take the bread together, and this is, this is a collective thing, is, is a body of Christ. As we take the bread together, we see that Jesus gave this bread to his disciples. He broke and he gave it. He says, this is my body. And he asked them to eat it in remembrance of him. What's this picture? It's a picture of Thanksgiving. It's remembering all that I've done for you. I've taken your brokenness. I've taken what you couldn't do. I've been the sacrifice for you. And I'm believing that there's just going to be a shift in our thinking. That theology today knowing who God is and the God that we serve is shaping how we think and how we feel. It's shaping our psychology today. So as we take the bread, Jesus says, breaking it, and he gives it to disciples. So together, let's do the same. Let's eat it in remembrance of who Jesus is. And he took the cup. I'm gonna help you. After we take this together, stay standing. And the worship team's gonna lead us in this chorus. I don't know, I just, I just sense that God is, is doing something all day. We're gonna sing this chorus together as a way of prayer, as a way of supplication with thanksgiving. Not to the walls, not to the sound treatment, not to anyone else, but to King to King Jesus. And we see just what God wants to do in every life that's here. He took the cup. He says, this cup represents my blood that was shed for you. It's a new covenant. Meaning you don't have to identify any longer to that old nature. Today, regardless of your story, it can be a brand new beginning. I believe it. It's going to be a new beginning for so many people that you thought your story was done. You thought that this is the finale. No, the finale is in King Jesus. Took the cup, shared with the disciples. He says, drink this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Stay standing. Now let's worship together just for a few moments. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.